How can health startups and scale-ups best serve patients? Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor, where together with my guests, we help you, the entrepreneur, to create a healthier, happier world through your ventures. My guest today is Roy Stenin, based in Austria at the moment, but originally from Israel. is patient in residence at Israel's renowned Sheba Medical Center, as well as the Ludwig Boltzmann Institute in Austria. He's founder at the Patient School, and he's you know, founded and led several health startups and NGOs, including This Autonomia Israel. He's also international keynote speaker, media personality, and author of the upcoming book about the patient mindset, which is a must read uh, for patients and doctors alike. We're gonna learn all about it today. So uh, Roy, thanks for joining us. Hey, Dr. B, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's really, really, really a pleasure to speak with you. As you know, we've been getting to know each other a little bit over the last month or so. Um, you've thankfully accepted my kind, uh, my kind invite. You kindly <laughs> accepted my invite to join uh, the incubator and the family that we're, we're growing here. Because I really believe in what you're doing, genuinely believe in raising uh, not only the patient voice, but generally the population's voice when it comes to health innovation and entrepreneurship. But enough about me. Let me ask you straight before we hear more about you personally, which is, you know, how can entrepreneurs and generally startups and scale-ups in the health sector best serve patients? So first of all, thanks for having me. And, and I will start straight for it. Like, I think that Every organization that has any interface, interface sorry, whatsoever with patients, whether it's a startup that thinks that patients are users or hospitals that think that patients are patients or somebody who called patient clients, I think they should have something that I called uh, and you call also uh, chief patients officer. Um, there are a few names for it, like patient engagement officers or patient in residence, like what I'm doing. I think the difference is just uh, terminology a bit like, you know, in pharma companies, it's more regarding adherence or it's more engagement and uh, a residency like I'm doing in something that is more temporary and you can have a few residents. But in general, it's somebody who is coming from the patient side, represent and advocate for the patient, help foster better patient-led uh, innovation uh, and also help with the decision-making, whatever it's clinical or administrative, everything that is uh, kind of about patients, you know, we have this sentence, nothing about us without us, uh, but it's happening in healthcare. Like we have decisions being made about patients' lives every day, but nobody asks the patients. So instead of just having patients' parliaments, which is a blessed thing, I don't have anything against it. I just think that every organization that have interface with patients should hire or have as an advisor, a patient uh, in residence or chief patient officer. And you know, as a public health doctor, whenever we're designing health services, for example, it's always important that we think about who are our, not just patients, but generally who are all the partners, the stakeholders involved in this? And who, how can we get their voice heard? But as you say, it's 
it's like an outside thing it's a second part of the puzzle where we then go and ask them after we've had our internal discussions what i believe what you believe is having someone within the organization and that's why i'm hoping at some point you'll you'll be joining me in, in forces of doing stuff with your patient um led innovation uh, mindset you know but what i want to ask you specifically is you know why why should a startup invest in that within their organization as opposed to just consulting with with someone like you so first of all um i have nothing against consulting it's better than nothing the problem i have is i see startups sometimes reaching round a and more um, which are totally dependent on patients because their product is meant for patients or even if their product is meant for physicians because patients are part of it even if it's what we call b2b2c if patients are the end 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 user um, if you're not listening to their opinions and not only with, you know, focus groups and all these regular methodologies we have in marketing and uh, service design and, and so on, um, I think we are not only missing something which is uh, righteous, right? It's not only politically correct to do it. I think that um, it can be kind of the, the, the make it or break it for our own startup or organizations. And I think that there is a huge difference when you put a patient um, in the beginning of a process. I'll just give you an example. Like sure. uh, it, 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 took, it took years for startups to realize that uh, design-led innovation is something that is super important to have designers from the get-go and not just to hire them to do graphic arts or something like this. I think it's the same here. You're designing a product and the patients are going to be a part of it. You have to not only ask for their opinion, you have to have an expert who is also you know, a patient himself or herself, an innovator, and somebody that understands healthcare systems, or at least the market that you're looking at. Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. I think one of the, the things that I see a lot, and I may be to blame as well sometimes, I think you know that, you know, as, as entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, whenever we're interested in some form of technology, whether it's now with AI or indeed any kind of technology, um, we come in and start talking about all of that, all the cool, funky computer data science, that kind of stuff that's under the hood. But reality is if you want better adoption, if you want less churn rate, if you want to actually make a real impact, you've got to focus on not only the design, it's generally that user experience. And so whether it's the patient, whether it's a clinician, whether it's the general population, you've got to have their voice heard. But what I love about what you're talking about, and I want to now dig deeper about work that you're doing in that respect is actually being there from the get-go from the start and helping shape the direction of travel the vision the mission as well as all the products and services that come from that because who knows you might generate new ideas new services new solutions that the the entrepreneur didn't know or think about but one addition that i'll add just briefly is you know the entrepreneur's doctor my whole mission is really to help promote people and inspire people who've gone through a personal experience with their own health, either as a patient or as a caregiver. And that's what often leads them into health entrepreneurship. Back in the day, if they were younger, perhaps they would have gone and trained as a health professional. But now they're thinking, no, I've been an entrepreneur. Why don't I apply my expertise to the world of health? I don't know if you've got any thoughts about that before I follow up. I just think that, uh, you know, um, 
it sometimes takes us a long time to realize that entrepreneurship is not something that can be generally taught and you know you're going to an entrepreneurship course and then you become like a unicorn and a startup founder. I think that it's something that it's usually addressing an issue or problem um, and we call it verticals but eventually you know if you're a caregiver for a patient uh, and you are encountering the same problems all over again and again and again. If you're not empowered to solve them and you don't have this mindset, this kind of MacGyver mindset that sometimes we have uh, or we share, I think that it will just remain another problem that somebody else needs to solve and maybe remains unsolved. But what, what's happening now in the NHS, for instance, with the uh, physician entrepreneur or the internal entrepreneurship program, and what I see in other organizations, universities and so on, if we're fostering innovation coming from the actual people who are engaging with the problem even before it occurs or, or notice, I think this is the way to go. And um, um, the last thing I would say about it is it has to be like you said from the ideation uh, part, not, not only when we already have a product and we need to test it. Like exactly. patients are not testers. <laughs> We're not lab rats. For, You're not guinea pigs. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> like sometimes I have arguments with the senior healthcare, you know, managers and I, I always tell them like, we are healthcare. Like, you know, it's, it was meant to treat us eventually. I always say like, it's the only industry in the world in which the customer opinion doesn't matter. Healthcare. Isn't it strange, right? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> don't get me started. You, you and I are on the same wavelength, but absolutely. I want to dig deeper now about your book because it's going to be coming out soon and you're still honing in on the official title, but why don't you tell us what it's all about and what, what people can expect to read? Sure. So we have a working title. It's called Revolution from Your Bed, uh, How to Regain Control of Your Life as a Patient. And it's, it's very hard to choose a title, not because of marketing reasons, but because um, this book is partly, partially a memoir, partially kind of a motivational book, uh, a book that analyzes uh, phenomena in healthcare um, and patient care. But eventually um, what it is, is a story about my own uh, patient journey which was um, maybe, I cannot say the worst, but one of the worst examples of how patients tend to fall between the cracks. Um, even though I'm coming from Israel and we are world renowned for our uh, publicly available free healthcare system, um, I was a, a victim of um, being falling between the cracks because of lack of communication, miscommunication between me and my physicians, which is one of the main issues I'm trying to solve in the world. And, and um, I'm not even talking negligence. I'm not saying the world's malpractice. I'm saying miscommunications and looking from the physician side, overburdening of our physicians, giving them seven minutes or so to treat patients in the primary care setting, uh, which is completely it doesn't make sense as a GP unless you want a GP to be a triage uh, officer which it's not their their designated job as far as I know from my health management education um, it's not going to work especially when we reach a point you and I that we're trying to think what will be next you know healthcare 2.0 or 3.0 we want to have some sort of health promotion emphasis and not uh, you know healthcare and not sick care you probably talked with other guests about this topic, but for me as a patient, this book is all about um, looking at my journey and what went wrong and what can be done better 
um, but also kind of bringing the reader into the mind, really inside the mind of a patient who in one day, uh, within one day uh, from a very young, uh, successful, promising guy who is about to start med school a few weeks later, uh, becomes literally a wreck, really. And, and um, I literally lost my 20s completely. I spent wow. time in hospitals and in bed. I was undiagnosed and kind of a, a living medical mystery. So this book is bringing the, 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 the patients or the doctors or the nurse or whoever practitioner or reader who reads it into my own journey, the pain that is being a patient, the hurdles and the common kind of uh, commonalities that we have as patients um, in our journey. What do we need? What do we really want? How can our journey become better? Um, and I really hope that it will make some sort of dent on people's life. I can't wait to read it. As soon as it's out, let me know because I desperately want a copy of this. But I, I want to know uh, something more about you now because you just raised a few things that I, I didn't know about you in terms of you wanted to go to med school to begin with, for example. But before I ask you about the patient school, just tell me a bit about you. I mean, who's Roy? What, what do we need to know about you? Thank you. It's funny because uh, sometimes, you know, I, I, it's, it's two types of interviews. It's either super professional or super kind of, uh, kind of uh, motivational. Tell us about your life pains and how did you overcome it? So um, before I overcame anything, I, um, I, was, I was just another regular guy from Israel living uh, under constant uh, threats of terrorism. Like uh, it wasn't easy growing up. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, we had um, an outburst of, of, of attacks. Uh, the conflict, I'm afraid, with the Palestinians really got worse. And as a young volunteer in the Red Cross, uh, that's what I wanted to do ever since I was a child. When I was 15, I joined the Red Cross. I, I just encountered almost immediately uh, horrors. And since in Israel... Um, military service is mandatory. Uh, I wanted to be a paramedic in the army, so it was a very natural um, kind of path for me. I was an instructor in the Red Cross. In, in Israel, you can really be on the ambulances already with the paramedics when you're a teenager as a kind of some sort of a first responder. You have under a hundred hours of training, but you're, you're like an assistant in the ambulance and then you can, you know, upgrade yourself. And I, and I reached the point that I was a, like, uh, BLS instructor and I was uh, a medic myself and it was wonderful and I liked it but then I was thrown into the army when I was 18 uh, and it was wartime so what happened is that I couldn't even finish my training we had this expedited basic training and I was thrown into the Gaza Strip we have a, in the Israeli army a very interesting system of how the emergency medicine work. And maybe you should interview uh, some of the official. It's, it's, it's like they have a lot of amazing research and data coming out of it about trauma. Um, and one of, the, one of the methods is to have some sort of a field medical station, which is not immediately on the front line, but just a bit behind it. So you can uh, provide kind of the secondary let's call it the secondary round of the PhD that's supposed to happen there. And um, basically what happened that I, I didn't have the military training to be a medic, but I was thrown into it. So my daily life was filled with mortar shelling, shooting, sniper fire, uh, terrorist attacks against civilians, terrorist attacks against soldiers, 
tanks going over IEDs and exploding. It, it was crazy. I had a terrorist infiltrating infiltrating our camp. Um, and I actually saw his shadows because I was woken up by some noise. His shadow, like, passing, like, over my tent uh, because it was thin. And it was daunting just to know that a, a moment later we would start shooting uh, crazily. And um, I didn't think that the things I've seen there, nor the things I've seen in my civilian life, because, you know, you go back home to your short vacation once in a few weeks and you kind of put off your uh, green army uniform, you put on your white Red Cross uniform because um, I had to help. And trauma after trauma after trauma. I remember only in my, in, during these years in my civilian life, in my hometown and the neighboring town, um, um, their name is Hadera and Natania, I was present in 12 attacks. Like, it really changes you. Some of it, as, as the first person on the scene. So uh, I didn't know what it's gonna do to me because we were never trained to, to deal with trauma. It wasn't in fashion to, to, to have uh, emergency kind of first aid, psychological first aid. So to make a long story short, um, my body reacted very badly uh, to the repeated trauma and um, I had an autoimmune response that led to a dreadful illness that led me to almost a decade of my life being bad and, and home-ridden. I was undiagnosed for the first seven years. And uh, do you want to ask me another question before I go on with the... Please go on. I'm, I'm loving <laughs> this. No, I mean, I'm not loving what you've had to go through, but just hearing about you, it's obviously something I want to hear. So keep going. Thank you, doctor. Um, so uh, it, it was just, it was just crazy. I, I was from, you know, I was in the army. I was pretty healthy, everything, pretty fit. I, I even had almost a six packs, you know, I, I was really fit. I was like 19 years old or less than this um, at, at, at this moment that uh, I, I collapsed. And eventually, you know, I spent more time in hospital than in the field. So the army sent me home, honorably discharged me, which is great because then you don't have any resume stain, but uh, I didn't have any continued care. It's just like now you need to deal with the Israeli NHS version. Like we have, uh, we have HMOs. So my HMO was now in charge to start over from scratch because the army could not pass them on all the medical records. Back then it, there, there was no very well connection between systems. So then, you know, you start over, which uh, and I'm pointing it out, not because of the story, but because uh, continuity of care is something that patients are really susceptible to um, problems in continuity of care. So I had to start over again, everything the army did for like almost a year of hospitalization and so on. And then again and again and again and again between hospitals and the hospital to the, to the HMO. And it was just a complete disconnect. Today we have in Israel a system called uh, OFEC or Horizon that every hospital can basically have a doctor in a hospital can use your what we call the Europe e-card, your electronic medical record access card. And in case of emergency or admission, they can see the relevant information from the day you were born, wow, uh, which is extremely important. But <laughs> back then it wasn't, it wasn't available APIs like this. It was like 2002, uh, three. Um, so it was such a hassle. And eventually again, to make a long story short, um, I had to spend years on years uh, on end in bed. Um, I've seen 
more than 30 doctors. Uh, I've been in hospital more than 15 times admitted. Um, and one of those doctors told my parents that basically he doesn't know what I'm having. <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm experiencing every single day of my life, which makes me um, be like that. I, I lost more than 30 kilograms. I was less than, uh, like, I was like around 47, 48 kilograms at that time. I could not walk anymore. I would faint even if I moved my head to the side. Uh, I had a um, problem breathing. Um, I lost most of my hair. Everything looked really bad clinically. So the final doctor just told my parents, hey, it may be one of those genetic conditions that we don't really know, one of those rare illnesses. And I don't know what's going to happen with him, but at least you should give him dignity. Kind of move the, move the talk into a more, um, you know, hospice kind of setting palliative, or yeah. palliative, the palliative kind of conversation started. Um, but he told them, I don't want you to... to develop any hopes your child will never but never work a day in his life marry a woman or a man Gosh. go to university like basically kind of sentence me to death because i think that patients what we want eventually is hope we want a prospect we want to see a clear picture you know when i'm ordering pizza from Domino's, i know exactly what's <laughs> happening to this piece of dough that somebody is now processing it and flattening it out right he's rolling it down there are top toppings on it. It's it's so detailed in the app that sometimes I'm just it makes me laugh because I'm saying this is a piece of dough, right? <laughs> I love pizza, right? But but still, but can we <laughs> do something about the patient journey that is quite similar? I've I've got to jump in here because someone else that I was talking to <laughs> recently about that is like unfortunately we can't necessarily do that with every piece of or every care pathway but someone posed that can we not share or communicate to the patient and the caregiver for example what point are you in the diagnostic in the therapeutic in the palliative where, where are you in the system just to you know keep you involved and engaged i think that's really important do you want to come back on oh, that yes well i'm <laughs> I'm trying to be, you know, and I'm trying to, to talk in an organized manner, even though it's a very, you know. <laughs> I can uh, tell you're passionate about this. Come on, you've gone through this. Keep going. Keep going. Thank you. So um, I'm trying to tone down the passion and be more like one of my professor, which is incredible. He was, uh, he, he was one of the senior members of the NHS. And he always tells me, Roy, we love your passion. That's why you got a full scholarship for the master program. But please, when you talk academically, please stick to the points so uh just an anecdote I i'm just gonna gonna bring it back to to the feeling that i have because you know i needed prospects and i needed to understand what's happening now with my patient journey i didn't know what a patient journey is but like is this the end i was hoping there is some sort of even symptom management some sort of medication yeah. some sort of treatment rehabilitation but in that moment the doctor just seized my entire care pathway and recommended my parents to acquire a nice mattress and connect me to a cable service and just treat me basically in palliative care. And I could not, uh, I could not accept that. When he told them that he recommends a wheelchair, so at least once a day I can see the, 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 the sunlight, you know, the, the, day, the, the, the light of day, I've decided that uh, I'm taking matters to my own hand. And, and this is the interesting part because I was always entrepreneurial, but I didn't know that I'm an entrepreneur. 
and nobody back then in Israel, now, you know, startup nation, you have programs in schools and uh, you have youth movements for entrepreneurship, like Unistream, you have like thousands of teenagers developing startups, you know, we didn't have that back then. It was very different. So I didn't know I'm an entrepreneur. Nobody ever nourished this uh, trait that I had. So I've decided that I didn't know it's a startup. I didn't know the terminology, but what I did, I came back home and I basically designed my own roadmap. And I've decided that I am the startup and my exit plan uh, or my exit strategy uh, is to actually continuing this uh, care pathway and to reach a point in which I have, first of all, diagnosis because you cannot get any treatment without diagnosis unless it's kind of, you know, like a trial or something like this. And most doctors didn't want to try something that is risky. Um, and afterwards, um, this MA that I wanted to create was actually to go back to my own life and to be rehabilitated because I wanted to, to have a normal life. So that was my plan. And yeah, you can ask me more questions and then I, I can I will, I will. <laughs> Look, well, you've, you've highlighted so much. I mean, I'm sorry you've had to go through that. I mean, we share some, some backgrounds. You know, I too experienced uh, violence and, and war as a child. Um, I think we've had a brief chat about that before. And uh, I, I distinctly remember it. And then others, I mean, ad, what we call adverse childhood experiences. I mean, you had it growing up and then in your 20s, you had health issues as well. But these things really are, have been shown. There's studies out there that show that they are very detrimental to our health and well-being. And it's a public health issue. I mean, it's, it's really of, of importance as a public health doctor. We look at this all the time. I can't quantify it now, but there's research out there that shows what proportion of disease, chronic diseases are associated with these, especially those in early life, but generally adverse experiences that we go through as, as young people. And, you know, on a positive note, um, again, don't quote me on this, but I'm sure I've read this somewhere, but we've also got good stories as well like Elon Musk he's someone who's gone through adverse childhood experiences you know so there's this positive sides to this as well and it's this drive that you have which which is why I not only the patient story but also the drive that you've got which is why I'm, I'm attracted to learning more about your story and and, um, and hopefully people will hear about this as well through your book so I want to ask you now about the patient school so who's it for and what do you actually help with so the patient school, um, I've, I've tried several startups, NGOs, health promotion projects, but I never touched kind of the, the nerve. I, I never touched the hurting problem. I tried different verticals and I just realized that there are two things that drive me, three things drive me insane in healthcare as a patient from my perspective. First of all, the, the way un or underdiagnosed conditions um, are being treated. Uh, the stigma, the, the abuse, the, the medical violence, uh, if I may say, these patients are undergoing. Um, this is something that really bothers me. The second is the support for chronic uh, patients in terms of emotional, psychological support, medical psychology that is completely lacking. Uh, and between your visits to the doctors, basically you're, you're by yourself and depending on your providing your, uh, you have any sort of um, support system, you can be better or worse. And the third thing is the doctor-patient communication. And I think what I try to do is to connect all of them and to see, I cannot provide right now digital 
a therapy for a lot of illnesses. Like there are better people than me that do it. There are better startups that, that, that do it. But maybe, 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 maybe I can find the non-medical ways that are more involving the mindset of the patient. And I can coach patients into um, handling their chronic illness better. Like my, my motto or slogan is like that getting better can be taught. And we are basically a school for patients. I, I'm just going to add that um, every time I do any startup or any project, my first aim is that people will compete against me because then more patients, more doctors, more people will be helped and the world will be a better place. My aim is that every organization, medical organization like NHS or so on will have, or hospital large enough, will have their own patient academy, patient school. But when I was breaking my head, like we say in Hebrew, how to make it happen, I thought, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not only in the kind of academy research, uh, policy making, or other things that can be done. Maybe via the startup methodology, we can scale it to, to a place that millions of people can be benefiting from it. So this is the patient school. Yeah, I've been, I've been just playing while listening to you. I've just been playing and I don't want to step on your toes or be giving away any trade secrets that you might be planning ahead but i was thinking the the model that i would take if it was me for example with the patient school is a train the trainer approach so you could launch your own it's like a franchise model but i don't mean it in that sense yeah. essentially that's it this is the scale of i mean you can do it all online by yourself fine but if you can train other patients to do this for other patients around them in their community and you lead this movement, you've hit an, a nerve, I mean, a raw nerve, a, an unmet need that is desperately needed. It's like a concierge, it's like a, a coach too, essentially guiding you through this really tough road that many patients and people generally go through with their health, especially in tough times like you've been through. And indeed, you don't deliver the health, but you can help guide, you know, signpost where are the reputable sources of information out there. And fantastic now i love what you're doing um the other thing that i want i heard from you which is you know i would love to have competitors you know absolutely i couldn't agree more like for example people are asking me why do you want to teach other people in the health profession to become chief medical officers i'm like the more the better we need more voices of health and medicine and patients in startup land because it's heavily focused on technology at the moment which is great but it you know what what that leads to sometimes so we're not really always addressing the unmet need so absolutely love what you're doing there uh, Roy I feel like you want to come back with something thanks I'm just I'm, I'm smiling because first of all uh, I like your approach to what we're doing and we it, definitely we have an interesting plan coming up with patient ambassadors and trained trainers um, I'm lucky to, to really have the best co-founders that one can ever hope for coming from areas of design, psychology, medicine, patient care, and so on, and, and education also. And, and, and we're thinking about it. And, you know, every project that I had was in some way or another joining other people that might be my competitors and work together. Of course, that healthy competition is good for, for startups in general, because otherwise we'll have monopoles that will not move anything. But on the other hand, um, you know, I'm not afraid. Some, some really famous Israeli investors, investor told me once, the distance 
between somebody hearing about your idea and do something about it and doing something about it is a hundred kilometers and more something like this in Hebrew. Yeah. And, and it, it was right. Like, you know, I really don't care that I'll have 10 patients school in the next year. And this is the reason, the only reason I actually launched and announced uh, the startup before we even had a product um, because I wanted to create a discussion, to create a conversation exactly. around exactly. it. And regarding what you said, like, you know, I've been thinking about you a lot lately, uh, ever since we, we talked the first time. And I'm saying, like, isn't it amazing that, um, like, you're kind of a chief medical officer for hire and I'm kind of a chief uh, patient uh, officer for hire. And I think we should join hands and teach other people how to do it because nobody else will. Man, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in with, uh, with teaming up. You and I have been talking about various things, as you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll hear about them soon. But I'm yeah. all in. I'm all in. Uh, anything I can do to help you. And actually, what I'd love for you to do is, as part of the uh, incubator, the intelligence incubator, bring it because there's other people out there. We've got pharmacists, we've got nurses, we've got other patients in there, vets eventually. So bring that here because there's so many. And actually, we're planning a workshop um, where we bring in the wider workforce as well as patients to talk about these these, these issues and raise them. Uh, I'm all in. I'm all in. Um, like okay, Roy, I really want to. You're a serial entrepreneur. I mean, you've done so much, and it's all based on. It seems like it's all based on personal experiences or things that you've seen. But let me ask you this one: If you were now going to launch the next health startup. What problem or problems are you desperately looking to solve? Um, I really, really want to help people that are bedridden and with complete loss of hope to find a diagnosis. I'm not even talking about cure. There are so many people, like, you need to understand the loneliness entails in this. Um, most patients, in, in, in this journey that are undiagnosed for years. And in my illness is around between five to six years to diagnose. I have POTS syndrome. We can talk about it in elaboration a bit later. Um, they're experiencing depression. We have increasing suicide rates among those patients. And some illnesses are very hard to diagnose, but some illnesses like mine, it's like five minutes in a doctor's office with a blood pressure uh, kind of uh, measurements. Uh, lying down and standing up and the loss of life and time it's astounding and if I can prevent somebody to from undergoing what I have I would love to so I, I must add another thing here because it, it's really annoys me that there are some amazing initiatives I have two friends uh, that um, are they launched something quite amazing. They connected different services to create something called Body Help. Um, and it's a free emotional support chat. Um, and, and they found a beautiful way to, to kind of tear it up. So if you really need a psychologist or if something emergency-wise happened, they have funnels. But if you just need somebody to talk to, they have trained volunteers to help you. And this is the best, close, best, like best close thing. Um, but it's not dedicated for patients. And I really think that, right, I need to do the undiagnosed thing, but really we need to find a way to support patients. And I'm working really hard in Israel now to create some sort of a national hotlines for chronic illness patients. Love it, love it. 
Okay, where do we go from here? So do check out the links in the description below uh, to learn more about Roy. Uh, are there any final words you want to share? So first of all, um, we haven't had enough time for me to go through the entire uh, soap opera, which is my life, but uh, <laughs> I've, diag <laughs> I've diagnosed myself and rehabilitated myself, taught myself to walk and talk again at the age of 27, uh, went to uni, studied education, health and science education, and now um, health and social management. Um, everything I do, I do while being 100% um, disabled, uh, chronic illness. I had a few relapses. Uh, and I learned, first of all, to put myself first and my mental health and my mental well-being first and my physical well-being. Um, and I'm kind of, I want to show other patients that they can do it too if they want to solve problems for other patients like them. Um, so I'm doing better, but I'm, I'm struggling with this invisible illness or disability. Uh, so first of all, so people know that the, the, my prospects were good. Uh, and I just want to tell patients, you are definitely not alone. It's not all in your head. It is in some points, and this is another conversation, right? Like the mindset and the mentality, it's everything. And it's been proven scientifically, body and mind. But if you are experiencing hard time, no matter if they call it Crohn's disease or depression, if you're feeling crap like crap, you need to be taken care of. And you need to be treated with dignity and with respect by your physicians. Uh, and this is something I will keep on fighting on, uh, that every patient will get the treatment and respect they deserve and nobody will fall between the cracks again.